So hi, this is Tundi Vargaskins and this is episode 17 of our Treasure Island Pedagogies podcast series from the Centre for Innovation in Education at the University of Liverpool, where we share our light bulb moments, teaching props and pedagogies as we cohabit our Treasure Island, the space for contact time with students. So I have the pleasure of introducing four guests today, Ellie Jones, Emma Gillespie, Mikael Godz and Mohsen Randeri. Okay, so can I, in each of you, to um, call on you to briefly introduce yourself, your original discipline and your current role, and how did you arrive here? So, Ali, can I ask you first? Yes, hi, everyone. My name's Ali Johns, and I'm a senior lecturer in digital marketing and strategy at the university, well, at Manchester Metropolitan University. I came into academia in 2017 after uh, over 20 years um, in industry as a practitioner in digital marketing. And um, I now specialize in applied rich user experience and digital innovation strategy, uh, working with primarily with postgraduate students, but also at undergraduate level as well. Thank you. What about you, Emma? Hi, my name is Emma Gillespie and I'm a senior lecturer in the School of Nursing at the University of Central Lancashire, which I'll shorten to UCLan for the rest of this podcast for ease. Um, so I originally did my degree and PhD in genetics, human genetics, and worked in the NHS as a clinical molecular geneticist, which is also a mouthful, um, for a couple of years and then moved into research and development and subsequently into academic and digital development from there. So my role now is um, I lead the school in terms of um, interprofessional education or collaborative learning um, and also uh, support staff development and curriculum innovation. Great, thank you, Emma. What about you, Mikael? Yeah, hi, my name is Mikkel Gosk and I'm an educational developer and researcher at Aarhus University. And I have a background in multimedia science and IT and then later uh, follow-up retraining in educational technology and online distance education. And it's more or less been my main focus area since uh, mid-90s. Uh, all the way from back, it was referred to as edutainment and the e-learning and technology enhanced learning, blended learning, etc. So I've worked with different kind of aspects all the way from being a programmer and a systems administrator till being um, a professional development uh, officer and uh, manager and work with all different kind of aspects. And now also some research, as I just mentioned. And for these last 10 years, I've had a special focus on learning design for educational development with educational technology, which I think is a quite interesting way to uh, move forward to a more sort of sustainable practice. So this is where I am now. Great. Thank you, Mikael. What about you, Mohsen? Hello, everyone. Yes, my name is Mohsen Randeri. Um, I'm at the University of Birmingham at the moment, and I work for the Birmingham Energy Institute as the impact lead. Uh, my background is I have a master's degree from con uh, in control engineering from University of Bradford, and I worked in engineering mostly in power generation in my early career and then transferred into lecturing in engineering uh, overseas. Uh, then that transitioned into a role relating to um, professional development for 
the Center of Excellence in Teaching and Learning that was over in the United Arab Emirates, uh, which built up my understanding of uh, some of the pedagogy and technology aspects of education. And like I say, more recently, I've moved across to the UK and I'm based at the University of Birmingham. Um, my role here now involves sort of three strands. Uh, firstly, with um, engagement with local businesses in Birmingham, uh, trying to connect them and uh, increase their understanding of the requirements for climate change and e energy uh, adjustments that need to be made. Uh, along with that, the uh, 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 engagement with uh, of the community, local community as well as a civic university. University of Birmingham has uh, a large role within the region as well. So uh, connecting with local communities and building that rapport and getting them also engaged in the uh, climate discussions. And finally, on the aspect of education. So I'm involved in different strands of education from primary school level right up to postgraduate. So involved in different projects. Um, mostly relating with energy or environment, so um, presentations to FE colleges or projects within the university, for example, relating to COP26 last year. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. And uh, yeah, it's all seems to be various themes from, from your four trajectories around innovation, digital, sustainability, but also the picture that conjured up in me is this bridging different communities. I think you all talked about going from one to another and how you might bridge or or establish other other practices so that thank you very much for this introduction so let's in the spirit of the island let's start drawing towards our treasure island and I would love you if you shared with us a light bulb moment one of the possibly many during your career um, that for our listeners so this is the moment when you felt your students whoever they may be or may have been uh, you felt that they were getting it and what made this happen? Um, okay, well, it's Ali and I'll, I'll start. Um, so for me, the light bulb moment came over the last couple of years of teaching and particularly in the pivot to, the, you know, the emergency pivot to, to online learning. And it was actually a quote that one of the students said to me when they said, oh, so I can actually watch this content in my own time and I've got permission to actually watch this when I want and then process it and then bring what I've been watching back to the workshops is that right yes came the answer that is right oh do you mean like when I stream the content that I watch uh, on my laptop <laughs> yeah yeah I mean that all right well this is great this is something new to me. I didn't really realize that that was a thing at university. Um, and that was a light bulb moment for me, but also it was validation of how I had also pivoted my own approach to delivering uh, learning and knowledge in an online only environment and, and more importantly in an emergency one. And mm -hmm. um, at the beginning of, of, of the COVID, uh, of, of the pandemic, obviously we went, we shut down pretty quickly, didn't we? Literally, we were there one day and we were gone the next. And I was hearing a lot of anxiety from people about, but I don't, I just don't know where to start. You know, what's this going to be like? I can't visualise it. You know, I'm never going to see anybody. What happens if they don't switch their cameras on? Lots and lots of things like that. 
So as someone who is kind of um, an ingrained design thinker, if you like, and design thinking is something that I do with my students, my response to that was to take myself away from it and go away and, and really think about and process what was about to happen and to start reading more into the pedagogy of online learning. And I became particularly struck by two specific things. One was this concept of bookending, which is how you frame what you do um, as if you were a storyteller, which I loved. That That's um, from two researchers called Botcher and Conrad. Um, and the other was this whole area of um, self-determined learning and this whole debate around, you know, whether at what stage students become self-determined, you know, whether one can make, you know, them feel more self-determined, you know, all of that stuff going on in my head. But what struck me was um, looking at things and really stripping out the complexity and thinking about this book-ended storytelling approach, it led me to coin this phrase, Netflixing a unit. Because, you know, what, what struck me even before the, you know, the students were giving me feedback, you know, partway through the unit and towards the end, it was exactly like that. It was about me, you know, helping them to understand that they had permission to access this content on the moon if they wanted to. And whatever device, you know, they could basically find to actually access the content. And it, it, it also made me realise and gave me permission to you know really cement this kind of storytelling aspect to what I do it validated it it made me feel like it was it wasn't just something worthwhile but it was really beneficial and had a huge impact not only on me but on the students as well so yeah my light bulbing moment to summarize is coining this phrase Netflixing your learning mm -hmm. So that reminds me of binge watching when, you know, so so what is it that you're doing, Ali, with your storytelling that, I mean, is, is that even a thing that you're aspiring to? But I'm, I'm guessing Netflixing is partly that flipped classroom and that um, chunking it. Um, yes. to be that one. But it, because you mentioned storytelling to be quite an important part for mm. you. So what is it that you do there? Can you um, explain a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I set my units or my, we call them, some people call them modules. I set them up as episodes mm -hmm. of a story. Mm -hmm. So even in a blended learning environment or even now where we're going back to on campus, I'm sticking with it because what it does is it enables you to see from start to finish where this story, what this story of this unit is and where, what journey you're going on. Mm -hmm. And also what, by visualizing it, and I've, I've produced this in quite a visual format, it then really brings learning outcomes to the fore. So students really then understand how the story maps to the learning outcomes and how the learning outcomes map to the assignment grading process, if you like. And actually, you've reminded me, Tunde, that I had another light bulb moment during this whole process. And that was that unit design actually really matters to students. Mm -hmm. If you spend time explaining to them where the inspiration for the unit came from, how you work on that, how you listen to them on a week by week basis mm -hmm. and you tweak and you adapt as you go, 
they start to become more interested in it and more invested in it. So, you know, in terms of, in, you know, whether this whole debate about whether someone truly is self-determined or whether one can make somebody self-determined, I don't actually believe that. But I think you can help people to understand what self-determination is just by virtue of doing a few little things like that. So simply introducing it and telling them about the inspiration behind it just like a storytelling session that we would have had when we were young kids, although in a more grown up way. And each week, each episode has a title which implies what's to come. Mm-hmm. And the whole thread moves, you know, th- flows from that kind of episode. And also as well, it enables you to mix and match as well. So this, what we what I was finding is, is that they were tending to rush at everything, you know, and they felt like they had to do everything all at once. And I was saying to them, no, the point is you go at it at your own pace. You mix and match when you watch what you watch. And the way in which the workshops are designed are to help you to apply whatever aspect of what you have learned suits you at that particular time. And they were absolutely blown away by it. And in all fairness, as I say, I'm, I'm now working on, putting that back in an on-campus format, but I will find a way to make that work for them and also reutilize some of that asynchronous content that I already have as supplementary learning for them. Mm-hmm. Great, thank you. Thank you. Does anyone uh, want to comment on that? So what I've also taken away is the importance of the director's cut. So almost like you as the director explaining what was going on and why it's, it's yeah. an interesting aspect. Yeah. Okay, anyone else wants to share their light bulb moment or respond to Alice? Yeah, Emma? Um, I guess what was um, occurring to me when I was listening to you then, Ali, was that idea of a story and the way that, I mean, my light bulb moment in in terms of supporting staff development is about helping um, other academics find and validate and be proud of their story in terms of what whatever style of teaching suits them and their strengths and actually that can be quite a journey of discovery um and i feel very privileged to be part of that discovery when when you see those moments where the you know the cogs all come together um is just incredible um i'll I'll tell a very brief story of of one that was fairly recent. So um, during the pandemic, we moved what was a um, face-to-face into professional escape room, but clinical escape room based. uh, So it was um, medicine students with nursing students. Um, So it was a face-to-face environment and we moved it to an online environment and we were unsure whether it was going to work. Um, but we thought we'd take the risk and give it a go. Um, and actually, what was incredible was that the very same learning outcomes of leadership and communication and teamwork, they they came through really clearly. And some things emerged during the online version of the escape room that didn't emerge in the face to face. And one of those was a backroom channel chat for facilitators. Um, so we had several escape rooms happening at the same time in different Microsoft Teams spaces. 
Um, and in the background, as facilitators, we had a, a private chat. So we were kind of messaging each other, having a little bit of fun and a bit of competition back and forth about how the various teams were doing. Um, but actually, what was really interesting was seeing some of the facilitators um, struggle sometimes with the concept of the of leaving the students to it and what emerged from that whole process was a bit of mentoring from a couple mm -hmm. of us around sit on your hands just don't give them the answer let them figure it out <laughs> it, it's really awkward and it's got to it like it's really horrible to watch sometimes um but you just have to let them do it um and then that particular person who sat on their hands and then the the elation that she got at the end of that mm -hmm. session of seeing what the students had produced by themselves mm -hmm. um and then the magic in the debrief of pulling out all the all the nuggets of information um and then since then that particular person has gone on to completely transform her teaching practice um, and is now very much more relaxed in an environment, allowing a bit of experimentation, allowing a bit of chaos to emerge um, and just seeing what happens sometimes. And so that was my light bulb moment was with, this is part of her discovering her story and me being um, able to witness it, really. Mm -hmm. That's fabulous. Matt, Mika? I feel like I wanted to share maybe just a tiny light bulb moment with you and sort of in in similar to the context, I think that Ali and maybe also you, Emma, is describing. Um, so I, I teach our professional development program, the aspect that has to, to do with it, uh, technology enhanced learning, uh, and it has the same uh, fully online format, flexible format, uh, for the last 10 years and it hasn't really changed for those uh, 10 years more or less of course the uh, technologies have been updated etc but in general it has more or less been the same so it was very interesting to see what happened then when uh, the pandemic suddenly occur how would the participate uh, the participating educators uh, view on technology change what would they do after the module etc and and speaking of this the narrative format and the next netflix uh, format uh, this module has been designed as um with narrative learning paths so there's a lot of text combining things uh, all the text that you as the educator would present when you teach it's written down so there's a clear structure and things and then they spilled up with different activities among others discussions and things like that and then i noticed at some point i think half a year after the first outbreak was there that one of these teachers was actually in the press explaining about what you can do with these narrative learning paths so <laughs> it was more or less the same works that was on this module that he was using so that was quite a a shame he didn't share it directly, but it was quite nice to experience that uh, he actually adopted some of these things. Suddenly he could see the benefit of building this asynchronous format instead of just, you know, having all as a uh, high flex uh, synchronous teaching. Um, so if I have to pick another just uh, small um, uh, light bulb moment, I think uh, one thing that I have found very effective in 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 context of technology and education is to show and don't just tell. 
And uh, that can, of course, be very difficult if you want to explain what is the potential of technology education. So, so the way uh, I usually do that is to spend some time every fourth year or fifth year or so to develop a, a video that illustrate how it is to be a student uh, like five years ahead. So what's the what is the day in a student's life in 2025, which is um, the theme of the video we have currently we are currently promoting. Uh, this is a, of course, it takes time to curate it, but it's also a really good process. So I would do a, a preliminary script and then share it with my peers and see if are the relevant technologies here are some perspectives we need to include. Yeah, we need to include peer instruction. We need to have some more on learning analytics and etc. And then we include the different perspectives, both the student perspective and the teacher perspective and also the, the retraining perspective. So you have some very flexible uh, interested students that want to you know they have a family and they want to do some some uh, retraining etc. So by spending time and developing this video have a really good offset for discussions. So that really links well into online discussions and I often see that when they have watched this video of these, I think it's the current version is around 13 minutes, they often refer back to the characters that are being presented in the video. So as Martin said, or as Emma said, as Victor said, as the characters are called, they use their technologies. And often, often it triggers a lot of like skepticism, which is also fine because it's a very, um, we have to imagine how could the future look like. We have to include all the technologies, so it's very technology loaded. But it's also a way to say, okay, which one could you then choose and benefit from? So instead of just saying, okay, yeah, technology is really good for these ten purposes, it's much much better to demonstrate it. And I think the same goes for the teachers we have on our program. They teach different kind of, for instance, laboratory teaching. They teach mathematical proofs. They teach programming, and you know, to show the students uh, in these uh, different kind of video that explains the different steps is a huge benefit. So this is where you can really show and not just tell your students what um, the technology is good for, and in this case, these form of these different kind of case videos of various kinds. That sounds great, Mikael. I can I can see that this can produce really interesting discussions with with lecturers. Brilliant. What about you, Mossan? What's your light bulb moment? So just wanted to pick up a few of the points that were just made that were really interesting topics that were discussed. So uh, one of the things that Ali was talking about, uh, especially when there's um, so much asynchronous material being produced over the last couple of years, how can we make use of that? I, th I think that's a really important aspect, so that's something to think about. Uh, another topic was Emma was talking about uh, when we have we have to give the time to students to process uh, what what they're what they're hearing or what they're learning. Um, as I worked overseas, the uh, students I had were second language uh, English students, uh, so they, they, it wasn't their native language. So that principle of you know allowing the silence, uh, Emma mentioned, that's really important, and you have to sit on your hands. So you just have to even increase that even more when it's, uh, um, let's say, international students or students with uh, uh, non-native English. So that's one aspect. And I think that's um, a phrase that I started using was uh, because we're very passionate about our field and our expertise 
it's it's a passion within us and we want to transfer that passion to our students but when we're in the teaching mode it's sometimes important to become dispassionate about our passion so that then that transfer process can happen and it allows that light bulb process that eureka moment for the students uh, which leads me to my example is um, in a class for uh, ethics and i was talking about morals and values and uh, relating to engineering it was to do with health and safety that was the, that was the core topic um, but how to get that across when you have uh, students with a very different context. So we have to recognize, okay, maybe it may just be uh, an age difference, but when it's a different uh, culture and different heritage, there's a whole different um, uh, scope for those students. So uh, to, uh, to engage them using their context, I think that was really important. So one of the light bulb moments actually for me was when I overheard some students whispering to each other in their native language. And I, I remember the phrase, it was Wallahi And I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> so after a while, I went over to one of my colleagues and asked, what are they saying? Basically, it means really, I haven't got a clue what's going on. So recognizing that sort of understanding their their position and trying to uh, contextualize it for them. So I, uh, that the, the examples that they would give based on their own heritage and their own culture um, then um, brought out their values, their morals, and then it was very easy to link that into principles of health and safety relating to engineering. And then the, the very positive feedback from that was when one of my students uh, sent me a, a tweet from Japan. Uh, he was visiting a, uh, he was on holiday over in Japan and he'd uh, passed by a construction site and there was a big poster up saying, um, don't forget your values and safety is very important and something along these lines. And he recognized the link between what he'd heard in the, uh, in the class. So that was a real, uh, real benefit. Uh, so uh, some aspects of linguistics then comes into it as well. So uh, again, with non-native speakers, and I think it works with all students as well, an aspect of etymology as well. So for example, um, uh, the word oscilloscope is quite um, a simple word, but uh, what does it actually come from? So in the session, I would be presenting the os uh, principles of oscillation which connects with the word, and then the examples of telescope and microscope, which uh, relate again. So making those kind of connections uh, using uh, sort of the, the foundation and the origins of words, that was also a technique that I was using, which I found very positive. Great, yeah, that is fascinating. And it comes back to what we were talking about language before. Okay, so uh, we've got wonderful light bulb moments that reverberating years after you've encountered the students, which is lovely, and having that feedback. Um, so if you're now rowing over to this island and want to take some pedagogies or teaching props with us that we, we think are necessary or will create these light bulb moments, what would, what would you put into the boat that we should row over? Uh, yes, um, I think you mentioned it already, Tunde, which is um, flipped classroom. I think that's something that now, because again, it links back to the uh, point about having the asynchronous, 
having those videos, having that content available, and how can we now reuse it? How can we make use of it in the post-COVID world? So I think flipped classroom is something that I find really useful, especially in an engineering environment. We need to be hands-on and active, and the um, activities are much more experimental and uh, you know face-to-face. -face, you have to be involved, sort of hands-on. So um, it leads much. Uh, it leads quite a lot to. Uh, project-based learning and uh, those aspects as well, which I, I really made use of. So I'd say flipped classroom is really important and there's the, the bigger opportunity now. And it links back to what Ali was saying in terms of the Netflix aspect. I think one of the uh, light bulb moments for the students was um, when they recognised that there's a, revert, there's a rewind button. So, oh, I can replay this because again, students, sometimes you have those who are a little bit shy to ask you to repeat something or uh, ask the question and raise their hand or whatever. Um, so the opportunity to just be able to rewind and replay something. Uh, so one of the aspects of flipped classroom, which I often used was obviously at the beginning I would, uh, of a face-to-face -face session, I would ask, has everyone seen the material? If there were some that hadn't, I'd send them away and say, OK, you spend some time with your headphones on and watch the material. And, mm. and then also, as they were participating in the class, the opportunities there to go back to that material, replay it, rewind it. And that was a real uh, bonus for the students. It, it means that I can focus on other activities somewhere else and develop those students, stretch those students, and they can always uh, review their content. Brilliant. So we've got flipped classroom and then on the island, active learning, problem based learning, what problem project based learning, whatever we want, where we working with the students. What else do we have in our board, Emma? So I just want to build on that kind of hands on approach, because one of the things I would take with me is Play-Doh. Mm -hmm. um, right. So one of the one of the thing reasons why I love Play-Doh is there's something nostalgic about it. You get it out and people smell it and they start immediately talking about childhood experiences and it puts people into a different space. Mm -hmm. um, and there's also something about it that is malleable. And I guess that's my view of the world is that everything can change and everything is ever changing. So mm. actually, once you get hands on with some Play-Doh, it can become whatever you want it to be, whether it ends up looking like that. Sometimes it doesn't really matter. It's what you say about it, about the objects um, that you create that I think would be brilliant. Um, and Play-Doh you can use in a multitude of different teaching uh, activities and environments. Um, and it's also a little bit challenging. Um, with, for, so in some environments, it can be seen as um, too playful almost and actually providing the permission to have a go and have a play with these things I think is part of our, our responsibility I guess um, to help break down those barriers and sometimes one of the things that I really truly truly believe in is breaking down some of the hidden barriers in higher education and that's for our staff as well as for our students so I mean I'm personally from a working class background um, and I think there's a lot of uh, barriers to social class in education for both staff and students um, and there's something about Play-Doh that kind of just levels the field a bit mm. um it means that we're all in the same space nobody's more 
um, more capable or nobody's got the, you know, the gold star at play doing, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so everybody has the potential to contribute <laughs> equally, which is one of the other things that I really love about play doh I want to put something else. Go on. Do you think that because the other thing about learning is sometimes creating the environment when people can make mistakes and I, I'm just guessing with the play though, you you know, you make a mistake, you just re scrunch it up and restart. So I just wonder whether there's something around that in the, there as well. Absolutely. Um, and that's why I prefer Play-Doh over Lego as a as a material to use in teaching, because although you can break Lego up, um, Play-Doh, I don't know, it's maybe more satisfying just to scrunch it <laughs> and start again, you know. Yeah. Um, but also I've, I've, that triggered a memory of a, of a um, session that I do with, with students quite a lot where I give them one activity. So um, I don't know, plan a park and I give them some rules to use the Play-Doh. Um, and then like two minutes before the end, I change the rules completely. So I then want them to, um, all the previous rules are abandoned and I now want you to create a parrot um, mm -hmm. and see what happens in that last two minutes. And actually it's, it's always the power is in the debrief for these things, but it's getting people to understand what their reaction was to that sense of urgency, to the changing of rules. How did they react? How did their team members react? What that might take forward. So I think there's just endless possibilities with Play-Doh. <laughs> Were you going to say something else? Oh, I want to take open questions as well. <laughs> because again, it's, that, it's about that power and potential of the people in the room. Um, I think open questioning, I'm a coach, by background as well so bringing in some coaching um, questions really helps people to dig a bit deeper and if you do take a playful approach to it I've found that people are more willing to go deeper um, in those situations mm -hmm. if you're a little bit more playful with it. Mm -hmm. Great, uh, other people have snuck in more than one items before in previous podcasts so we can let you have two. <laughs> Good. Any other teaching props or pedagogies? Mika, yes? Yes, well, actually just uh, commenting on, on on your props there, because I think, uh, I also think flip classroom is a potentially very powerful uh, method to design your teaching accordingly. Also, I've been, been 10 years associated with the Faculty of Science and Technology, where this is really something that has proved its worth, I think. Um, and I, I like the idea you have, Emma, about um, the Play-Doh, and it sort of reminds me in general of, I mean, a, a design mythology. So we are here talking uh, maybe some kind of um, um, uh, design thinking where you use this Play-Doh for bringing ideas out into another context. And I think that's sort of also the, if I should pick one, I wouldn't pick a specific pedagogy. I would pick a mythology instead. So this is where I think the learning design mythology is really interesting because that could include things like Play-Doh and it could use a lot of different kind of tools that have been developed for different kind of subject areas and different kind of target groups. So the idea that you instead of bringing one uh, pedagogy and one uh, design method, you have this 
mythology where you have a lot of different tools and ways to think about your teaching. And um, I think the interesting aspect uh, with learning design is that it can be, it can address some of the barriers, uh, at least that I've experienced is in particular in the context of of working with the science and technology higher education. It is it, it, one of the things it can it can it can sort of translate pedagogy theory until something that's much more practical. So uh, the problem I often occur, uh, experience when I talk with educators is that they are they are professors of physics, uh, math, mathematical subjects, things like that. And pedagogy theory is so far from that positive world they're currently uh, engaged in. So talking about pedagogy is like really sci-fi to them, though, I mean, sci-fi in the opposite way, because they would know what rocket science is, but you know what I mean. Anyway, so there, I think learning design really have these tools to make complex pedagogy theory concrete, as for instance, flipped classroom, just-in-time teaching, Jesus Elmholm's five-stage model, things like that. So by using this as an approach to support the process, you have these sort of embedded tools that you can bring out, including Play-Doh, if that's relevant, or different kind of other interesting tools that have developed around. So for me, this has been very helpful in bringing the pedagogical language uh, into a context where I can talk with science educators. Um, another thing that has been really helpful for me is to, to sort of bring more sustainability into educational development. So not sustainability in the environmental sense, but more in the way that you can reuse things. I've experienced so much to my big frustration, if you go like 10, 15 years back, that a lot of educators were doing wonderful, wonderful things. So they're developing a wonderful module. They're having all these good activities, et cetera, but they were not sharing it with their peers and didn't know how to talk about it. So, and then there's the module was maybe discontinued and nobody could take over because it was very much led by this specific uh, educator on this specific modules. And there's a lot of waste in that. So by using learning design methods and models and templates and the whole language that's built into talking about your teaching practice and underlying pedagogy, it's much more easy to share between peers, reuse practice and all that. So that's a, that's a sustainability potential. I think that is if we uh, sort of raise some of these things to a more like a methodological level in, in, instead of choosing a specific method, at least it gives us an opportunity to sort of have a more like a, I usually refer to it as like as the, the Swiss uh, army knife of educational development because you have so many tools built into this idea that you can use for assessment, for teaching development, for science courses, for arts courses, etc. So, I mean, that could be another perspective that you actually go beyond a specific pedagogy. I mean, that's a very smart and sneaky response, Mikael, because you're, you know, rather than choosing one, you're choosing the, I don't know, um, rather than give people fish, you, you, you teach them fishing or you, you give them the concept of fishing, which is very <laughs> a brilliant answer. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Ellie, what about your teaching prop and pedagogy? 
Well, I mean, just listening to everybody, I mean, I think there's two ways of looking at this because um, you could argue that you wouldn't need to take anything because you're going to be on a, an, you're on this island, the tide is going to go out, you're going to have a massive canvas on which you can, you know, draw in the <laughs> sand, you can use the sand to build, um, you can use driftwood shells, um, bits of crab shells, God knows what, you know, so if you were, you know, looking to kind of, you know, build up your skills and the skills of the people you're on the island with around, you know, the, the you know, pedagogical methods, if you like, uh, I, I mean, I'm really interested in how we help students to become more curious and critical thinkers. Again, it's one of those things you can't make people do. You have to be cleverer. You have to be more wily. You have to be, you have to think about how you can weave that into the fabric of what you do. And that that takes time to think. And that's why I'd actually quite like to go on a desert island, because I think I'm somebody that really <laughs> relishes the opportunity to slow think, because when we slow think, we create really great stuff. And, you know, we might start on the back of a serviette with a few ideas, but actually in order to kind of make those come to life, it does take a lot of reflection and, and, and kind of thinking about, you know, what the, the risk and reward might be. So, you know, on the one hand, I would, I would, I would be quite cheeky and say, I'm going to use what's at my disposal on the island to actually help me to rethink and redesign the way in which you know I want to you know sort of deliver my 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 content but the obvious one to take would of course be a solar powered laptop because um you know and that assumes of course that we're going to have access to wi-fi on the desert island but you know one would assume that it is in the future and therefore 5g will be the world over and we'll probably be in 6 or 7G by then anyway. So as long as I've got a solar powered laptop and I can keep accessing the great learning of others and the great examples of others and then start thinking about them in the context of um, my own modules and the challenges that I face and how I can help other people. So much like Mikkel was saying, you know, it's about what I've found is it's about helping others to understand how to do this because it's quite risky, you know, and people get very hung up on the modality of something rather than the creativity. And, you know, once you set the modality to one side and you start having a more open discussion about, and I was doing this as a colleague this morning before um, I joined you on the, on the call, you know, once you can just throw around a few thoughts about how you want to do something and, you know, you, you can talk about quite openly and, and without, you know, without prejudice about some of the things you want to do and try. All of a sudden, the whole kind of issue of technology just goes by the wayside. And it's more about the actual, you know, the design thinking, um, the creative approach and getting over this also this subject of, well, I'm not creative because, you know, in my world, creativity is, is nothing to do with actually being able to paint and draw. And it's everything to be able to reflect on situations, mm -hmm. look at challenges and then provide solutions. So, 
you know, as I say, cheeky one is I won't take anything. I'll just use what I've got. And the 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 obvious one is I'd like a solar power laptop, please, Tunde. <laughs> Given that in, in COVID, uh, we did let people, because obviously the Treasure Island was that contact time with students on campus when we could come together. And so I think we did allow Wi-Fi and I think the solar powerness is definitely what, in terms of sustainability. But yeah, Mostan, did you want to add something? Yes, exactly. Um, I'm very happy that you're going solar. Working <laughs> for Birmingham Energy Institute, that's definitely something that's uh, a tick from me. But in terms of the general discussion, there's lots of things relating to, uh, I think you mentioned design thinking and slow thinking and the, the aspects of creativity. I think these are really essential. So one of the models that I heard about was, um, I'm not sure of the name of this model, but um, at an earlier age of uh, education, um, the, probably the definition of pedagogy, I'm not sure, is um, the teacher is sending information to the student. And then at a later stage of development, the student and the teacher are sharing information. So it's a, a two-way communication starts to happen. But the next stage of the, of the uh, education is that creativity where the student and the teacher together are producing new knowledge. And I think that's the aspect that, especially all the aspects relating to in innovation, creativity, design thinking, and, you know, starting from nothing, how do you, how do you start? How do you, where do you go? And that te that technique and those those thought processes, I think that's really important at at this level, at the the higher education level. Like I say, um, I work with uh, children as well at primary and secondary level as well. But trying to involve them in in design and that design process and and innovation, I think that's really um, fr fruitful for them as well and fulfilling for me. And I think that aspect of the Play-Doh as well, bringing somebody back into that child mind to be able to uh, think creatively and think from from a blank canvas, it's, that's also, um, you know, psychologically a, a, a very positive trigger, I think. So to follow on from that, what's really interesting for me is around the the factors that are enablers of creativity. Um, so Tunde will know that I'm one of the hosts for the Creative HE Network and one of the most wonderful things about that space is that there's the belief in the potential of creative approaches um, and that doesn't need to be arts based in any way. Um, I can't draw um, but I'm still creative <laughs> um, and so I think there's for me it's somebody said one at uh, one of the events once it's about finding your tribe and actually being in an environment where you are encouraged and activated to have a go and to be creative and if it doesn't work it it's not the end of the world <laughs> um, and actually it's part of us moving forward is is i'd like to see higher education um take a few more risks i guess um in pushing that creative space because i think we've we've all got the power and the potential to do that um I feel that sometimes we we lack the um, advocacy that it's okay 
to do. And actually, it's a good thing for us to be all experimenting a little bit on the edges of teaching. Yeah, I mean, it's a wonderful because you've already started. Um, um, ex I think you've all embraced each other's ideas. So I was just going to lead on perhaps. Is there anything that's missing on the island or anything that we can still um, bring to it, perhaps as additionally that that um, the others have reminded me of? But I, I just love this idea of Ellie, you, you were starting to almost like literally inhabiting an island, inhabiting a space, it starts with making sense and engaging with what's around you and, and that creativity again and bring, so I think you've, you've already got that amazing space here. And Mikkel, I love also the fact that you're bringing that language. So not only, you know, we are inhabiting it as learners, whether we are um, the facilitators or, or as students, but if we then have a language to describe, as you say, and then being able to recreate it again and again and again, that's really, really helpful. Is there anything that you want to add on top of the ideas or anything that you think we might miss? Yeah, Mosem? Yeah, just building on what Emma was saying in terms of um, can we become more creative? Um, I sense that because of this shift, we've had such a major shift in the dynamic there are those opportunities now and they are sort of presenting themselves even this podcast this is an example i think and those th those things are happening now and they're just starting to uh, starting to come out and starting to bloom so i, I think there's there's lots of opportunities there we need to be open to open-minded and again uh, you know um, notice those and then again, make use of the knowledge from the students. Again, that, that um, aspect of self-determination, take their knowledge and understand where they're coming from. You know, they've grown up with the technology and they've, they've been through at a key phase in their lives. They've been through such a, a challenge. So there must be so much sort of bubbling under the surface that we need to be extracting. So I think that's a really important aspect. I think Emma's open questions and Ellie mentioned that, uh, you know, in you know, students looking around what's, you know, we will see what they're going to create. We will see what they will respond in the open questions. So I think, yeah, Mohsen, you're quite right. We will be able to um, get, get at those. Yeah, Mikael? Yeah, well, maybe that was another thing to consider when you inhabit this uh, island uh, and working with specifically with science and technology uh, educators and now working with uh, educators across the university it's very clear that they have a really profound uh, underlying paradigm that sort of uh, defines their understanding of teaching and learning and the whole world and the way you conduct teaching uh, and research and develop things. So I think it could be very good when we bring people here that we have the different kind of paradigms mm -hmm. represented because it would be very difficult to get a uh, Play-Doh uh, afternoon with uh, too many uh, positivist professors. While it may work very well with some of the more like a constructivist uh, approach. So they could learn a lot from each other. So uh, hopefully we will get all different kinds of of uh, people on our island at the same time so we can bring the creative ideas into practice and make them work and be sustainable. Ellie? Yeah, I, I like that thinking and, and, and just building on that, I was, you know, I was just kind of, you know, processing what people have been saying. 
And personally, as someone who's relatively new to academia, I don't think there's enough discussion like this. So, you know, for me, we talk about flipped classroom and, you know, that's great. But what's after flipped classroom? You know, what about if we moved on from flipped classroom and the students co-created their own way through a, through a topic and they decided how they were going to be assessed? Mm-hmm. You know, so we, we're there then. We truly are looking at constructive alignment then because we're thinking, right, OK, we're going to put the student front and centre of this. And this might be something that is like, you know, sort of way, way off. But if we're really honest, you know, how constructively aligned are we as a, as a teaching profession? You know, to what extent do we take that and do we really mean it and do we really deliver on it? And the other side of that coin is to what extent do the students actually understand that that is the environment they're coming into? So it's certainly not an environment that they're used to. And then when they come to university, they're automatically expected almost to actually understand that and to take that on board. And then, you know, they're so far off sometimes, uh, you know, being able to actually cope with a flip classroom environment. So what you said at the beginning as well, isn't it, yeah. Ali, that, that, you know, that you spelling out why it's important and why it's coming, you know, why we're covering this yeah. is very important to the students. Yeah, it is. But without, you know, it feels to me like, you know, sort of we're being more and more squeezed with the time that we have with students. And, you know, I'm the sort of person I'd like to have more, not less. And, you know, the way the timetables and the, and the curricula are, are, are moving. But you know, in a truly kind of collaborative environment, imagine what that would be like and what that could be like, you know, and, you know, that's where Emma's use of Play-Doh, for example, comes into its own, you know, in terms of actually getting people to kind of take themselves out of the day-to-day environment and to start thinking in a more abstract way. And then having the the courage to actually take those risks. So Emma did say, didn't she, about you know, wanting to be able to take more risks. And I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely like that. I'd like to think that I was a responsible risk taker. I'm not, you know, completely reckless. But to try and forge some changes on that basis, I think is, is quite hard. I, you know, I wonder whether I, I would actually see that in my lifetime. I hope it happens. But mm-hmm. I think there's something um, there that I would, I would love this island to be a multidisciplinary island. Um, because we teach in silos, whether we like it or not. Um, and part of my role is to try and bring some of those silos together. Um, but part of why I've taken on that role is because I believe it's better. You know, if we are getting, you know, if we're educating our nurses and our midwives and our engineers and our artists, um, if we can educate together and they are co-creating and learning from each other the results are going to be profound I think the capability and the potential there of bringing people together and sustainability is a a really good way Mm. of actually bringing people to um, look at some of the world's big challenges and Mm. being able to see that from all those different disciplines and all those different directions, that's where the, the novel solutions and the, and the innovative ideas will come out. So I want every discipline 
on this island? <laughs> <laughs> I think what we're creating is an archipelago where everyone has their own tribe, but also there is a nece necessity and as essential. It's what Mika, you were talking about the language and the sharing and you know people coming with different paradigms but then they have to take things from different perspectives i'm just aware that mika needs to leave at 20 past so can we wrap up and think about the luxury items so you're all passionate about teaching experiencing light bulb moments of the students this is about you having a bit of downtime in a corner of the island wherever that may be so what luxury item would you choose to bring to the islands with you I think mine's quite simple. I'd like a pair of binoculars, please, and an endless supply of paper and pens. So what are you going to do with the paper and pens? I'm going to journal. I like I like documenting um, what I see, you know, no matter how trivial or, you know, somebody else might think it would be. But to actually record my time on the island, but also be able to look at the amazing wildlife that's inevitably going to be around and be able to record my responses to that. That would that would just I would I would love that. Thank you. Brilliant. <laughs> You're granted it already. <laughs> I'll use Ali's laptop and I'll raise Ali's laptop a um an amp and speaker system. Um, with a clearing so that we can have a dance of an evening. Brilliant. <laughs> I'm up for that. That's brilliant. <laughs> What's that? Yes, I, I hope that will be an, a solar powered amplifier as well. <laughs> and uh, following on from Mikkel's suggestion about um, using a methodology as a, um, a Swiss army knife, I think probably one of my tools would be a multi-tool or a Swiss army knife. That would be something that, you know, I'd always want to have to hand. Uh, and if not, if, I, if I'm allowed, I'd rather have my whole tool bag. That would be much better. Um, but in terms of my luxury item, again, a multi-tool is my multi-cooker, which cooks anything and everything. So that's, uh, we can have a nice biryani or we can have a nice, Halim or Nihari or any of those dishes will be available and the best thing about it is you can put it on to uh, timer mode so you can get on with something else more useful uh, to do with pedagogy and education while the pot is working away in uh, preparing a lovely dinner as well. <laughs> yes Marcel, you're my kind of desert island pal. <laughs> Yeah, in indeed, the good thing about you bringing all those things, Boston, is that when then we can just bring more like uh, non-practical things. So that's <laughs> that's good. Uh, in that case, I would probably bring my base and sit under the palm trees and play some 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 funky music. I think that would be quite suitable for uh, it, it. I presume it's a warm, deserted island and not one of these in the cold north somewhere. Yeah, I think that that should, we should be guaranteed that definitely. I don't know. I'd like a, I'd like a day of snow every now and again. Beautiful <laughs> blue sky, but then snow, and then sunny again, and I'm warm the next day. Well, this is a fictional island, so um, I think we can be guaranteed whatever we make up. So that, that's the power to us. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much, uh, all four of you. This was lo lovely having you. So I think it's time to sail away to our treasure islands and various corners. So thank you for the audience listening. 
And if you enjoyed the episode, uh, you can subscribe to our podcast. If you want to be a guest, you can find the expression of interest form on our website, on the LIFS UNICIA podcast site, um, where um, the blog posts are also. So goodbye for now. And finally, a big thank you for our guest today. Goodbye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.